So we're going to continue our series this morning that we've been looking at um, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we'll be talking about the Sermon on the Mount this week and also next week. And then we're going to move into something different for the season of Lent, which is that uh, uh, 40 days leading up toward uh, Easter. And so this morning, we're going to look at another teaching from Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Before we do that, I want to tell you about uh, an experience I had when I was in college. I attended college at a university in uh, South Florida named Palm Beach Atlantic University. Has anybody, I've, I've mentioned Palm Beach Atlantic here before. Palm Beach Atlantic is in West Palm. It's right across the intercoastal waterway from Palm Beach Island. Um, a lot of wealth, a lot of uh, just really um, obscene wealth in many ways in Palm Beach. And you also have a lot of extreme poverty all right there in that area. Palm Beach Atlantic, I will say this, and I'm just being, I'm stating the facts. It is a Christian school that loves, like, capitalism and loves wealth building. All right, so if you visit this school, when you get there, you're going to see large, beautiful buildings, mostly all of them named after white millionaires and possibly billionaires who donated lots of money to the school. One of the required courses when I was there at Palm Beach Atlantic was a course that taught the biblical foundation for capitalism. And, and it, it, each year, it, it was a course called, um, I can't remember the name of it, but we all had to take it. Every year, the school would host what they call an American Free Enterprise Day. And it was a celebration of the free market, of wealth building, of business success. And at this event, they would give an award to an individual who has earned a lot of money through business, and through enterprise. And I'm sure that person also had given a lot of money to the school. At my graduation, you know, I, commencement speeches are probably my least favorite thing in the world, just to be honest. Um, and this one was not great. Uh, they invited the owner of the Orlando Magic to give the commencement speech. And the only qualification he really had to do that was that he was a wealthy, successful person. I'm just being honest. <laughs> Palm Beach Atlantic is much like the rest of our world, that the people who have the most value, the people who are respected the most, the people who have the honored place at the table are the wealthy people at the top of society. They are the ones who are seen, are recognized, are noticed. All the while, there are countless poor people who possess incredible strength and character and compassion and courage who are overlooked ignored and left out. And I wonder why our Christian schools aren't naming our buildings after them. Preacher Jerry Taylor pointed out that there's a pyramid on the back of the dollar bill. And I don't know if y'all have noticed this before, but there's an eye on top. And he just asked an interesting, provoking question about it. He says, is this the all-seeing eye of justice, or is it the blind eye that's blind to the needs of the poor who are being crushed at the bottom of the global pyramid? The man who donates millions out of his billions gets buildings named after him, while the black mother who gives her life and resources to serving her neighbors and her family doesn't even get noticed. But here's the beautiful thing. God notices, God sees, and God doesn't have eyes like the rest of the world. <laughs> We've got to remind ourselves of that all the time. <laughs> and Jesus really makes it plain as day 
by the way he lived his life, by the people he spent time with, by the folks he lifted up and said, these are the ones you need to model your lives after. So much so that he raised up children and said, you actually need to be like them if you want to enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.1 says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. During Jesus' day, most people were poor and they were struggling. All right, the way in that part of the world, the economy, there were some that had a lot and most everybody lived in poverty. All right, it's just the facts of the day. They were unseen by the Roman Empire and they were unseen by some of the Jewish leaders who had kind of sold out for wealth and power. In the ancient Near East, in the first century, um, they lived in what they call an honor-shame culture. And we've talked about this many times here in different sermons. But there were things you could do in that culture to bring honor to your family and to yourself. And there were things you could do to bring shame upon your family and yourself. And so many people were always thinking about how they could kind of up their honor score. How could we get more honor from our peers? Some of the religious elite uh, tried their best to be honorable in the eyes of their peers. And so they would look very generous. They would do things to look generous and look also very religious. These folks would often give their money away to the poor, which is great. Uh, They would pray real earnestly in public. When they fasted, some of them, uh, um, according to Jesus, were looking awfully pathetic when they fasted so that people would know that they were fasting. These actions would reinforce the social hierarchy that they had in place. For instance, giving this way in public, showing that you're giving to the poor, it really would reinforce the division between those who have and those who don't have. The poor would feel indebted then to the generosity, and then they would feel like they owe something to these wealthy people. We call this giving with strings attached, right? You give because you're expecting something in return. Here at Embrace, we try always to remind ourselves that like when we do for others, it's not we're doing for someone. We're actually, it's mutual. We have so much to learn from one another. And I might have money to share, but the person with no money might have something else that's even more valuable that they can share with me, right? But these folks, many folks, and we do it today, giving with strings attached. So almsgiving, which is giving to the poor, prayer, fasting, they were all integral parts of the Jewish faith, which is beautiful. But what happened is many people had got in kind of a bad cycle, uh, a bad habit of doing many of these things in public to get that kind of honor on themselves and and doing it also in ways to make themselves feel better about who they were. And so Jesus saw that harmful cycle going on, and he tried to get to the root, and he tried to say, hey, we need to break this harmful cycle, and we need to change. And so remember how Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. First, he affirms the Mosaic Law. Then he radicalizes the law which is getting to the root of the law, to the heart of the matter, and then he offers a transforming initiative for his followers to take to break that harmful cycle that had developed. And so I'm going to read um, three different teachings, and they're all very similar, all right? And so he's going to affirm the Mosaic law and the the practice of almsgiving and prayer and fasting, but he's going to point out kind of that harmful cycle that had developed, and then he's going to offer a transforming initiative 
to kind of break that harmful cycle. And so let me read these for you. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And these are three kind of distinct sections, but they're all related. So Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Then he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then I'm going to skip to verse 16 about fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their, their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So as I read these, you may have noticed some similarities between each of these sections. There's actually some similar wording, um, and they're structured in the same way, so they really all fit together as part of one teaching. And each of these teachings is very similar. So Jesus describes the folks he's talking about as hypocrites. Now, we, we know the word hypocrite, right? We've heard this word many times. We've all been hypocrites at different points in our lives, and we all have that as part of who we are even now, I'm sure. So in the ancient Greek culture, a hypocrite was a word used to describe an actor in the theater, Theater was very popular back then. It was a form of entertainment. And so a hypocrite was used to describe an actor in the theater. And so if you think of it that way, a hypocrite is someone who plays a part. They're someone who plays a part. What they're portraying on the outside is just a performance for an audience. It's not really who they are. Jerry Taylor, the same guy I quoted earlier, says, in life, the hypocrite is a person who masks his or her real self while he or she plays a part to capture the undivided attention of his or her audience. And so it's a person who masks their real self while they play a part to capture the attention of their audience. So a hypocrite is putting on a show in order to get positive attention from other people. When I see politicians host prayer breakfasts and events for pastors, I worry that perhaps they're just putting on a show to get positive attention and support from the religious people, right? When people donate lots of money to the poor, yet support policies and agendas that perpetuate poverty, I'm concerned that they're just putting on a show 
in order to get positive attention from others instead of truly caring about the poor. But before I can get too prideful, and perhaps you as well, have you ever masked your real self, playing a part in order to get the attention and approval of others? Let that sit just for a moment. Today, the addiction to likes and views and retweets and shares and replies and comments, it's real. And that's dangerous. I find myself at times looking or picking up my phone and looking at the likes and shares, and I'm like, man, my post got shared a bunch of times, you know? I did good. I did good. And it feels good for a moment, but it's fleeting, right? I think Jesus would say the same thing to us. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And like he said, like, they've already got their reward. And so you get that little jolt of energy, right? You get that little feeling or rush of dopamine in your brain and you feel good about yourself. You got your reward, but it's not even a good reward, is it? Because it always crashes and it never feels good for very long. So we keep going back to it, right? The hypocrites like to put on a show for everyone. The folks Jesus was referencing were giving money away, but they were making a big deal out of it and doing it for the wrong reason. They wanted the glory, attention, and praise. They were praying as well, which is great. We ought to be praying. But they were doing it in front of others to get glory and attention and praise. They were fasting, which fasting is a spiritual practice we should all bring back into our lives. But they were fasting, and they were doing it for the wrong reasons, to get glory and attention and praise. And what we do when we act in this way is we're robbing God of the glory God deserves. When we give in this way, pray in this way, fast in this way, we are stealing God's glory for ourselves. We are making ourselves into an idol asking people to worship us. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Jesus offers three transforming initiatives to break the cycle of pride and self-worship and inequality. And he challenges us to do all of these things in secret. In secret to pray in secret, to give in secret, to fast in secret. Now, I don't believe he's saying we never ought to do something good in public or ever pray in public because we pray and do good things here in public all the time. In, in just a few verses before, he said, I want you all to be a city on a hill, right? I want you to be visible out there so people can see you. But I think it's really what he's doing is he's striking at the heart of all of this, and that's our motivation. What's our intent? Why are we doing what we're doing? What is all this for? Is it for others or is it for God? Is it for ourselves or is it for God? And I believe, and I'm on my journey to this. I'm not, I've not arrived. But I believe when we reach a deep level of spiritual maturity, then we will be able to perform for an audience of one, right? That we will be able to do good work because it's good work, because it's true, because it's right and good, and that's what God wants from us. We won't worry about what people say or if people see us because we know that God sees us. He, sees, he says in each of these sections that our Father sees what is done in secret. And so you don't need to put it out there because you know that God 
sees it. And this is honestly a deep place of spiritual maturity. And it is very hard to get there. It takes work. It takes intention to get to that place. When we don't worry about what others think. And we don't need praise and recognition from others. We need to train ourselves to perform for that audience of one. And we can begin this training by doing something very simple. Just doing good things in secret. It may sound simple, but I think it's transformative. Some have called this actually the spiritual discipline of secrecy. The spiritual discipline of secrecy. Today, in our con- with our constant connection and our deep desire to share, I think this d- discipline is relevant maybe more so today than any other time in history. And it could be very helpful for us. Do something right and good. That's just the right thing to do. It is a good thing, a loving thing. And don't tell anyone about it. Now, if we pl- practice this discipline of secrecy, then I believe we can grow in our faith. We can grow in our connection to God. And we will become more like Jesus. And now I do want to say something about being seen. Because every single one of us has a desire and a need to be seen by others. It is important to be seen and noticed and loved. I want people to see good things in me. And I need that in order to, to thrive in this life, right? I need people who affirm me. And, and, and mirror back to me the good things in our lives. Often children... When we grow up and we don't have that experience, it can really impact us in negative ways. We need that. And I also understand that, that if you've been rejected um, at school or at home, often like the best place you can find to be seen is online. And a lot of our young people have found community online. I saw a young girl told me recently, uh, she said that my, my school friends aren't very nice to me, but the online friends I have actually care about me and know who I am. And I'm able to be my full self there. So I get that. I'm not like totally ragging on the way that we like to share and be seen online. Sometimes that is the place where we can be ourselves. And I hear that. We all need to be seen. We need loving people to tell us we matter, to help us figure out who we are, and to speak truth to us. People who affirm us and acknowledge the good in us. But the danger, I think, in human relationships is often that there are strings attached. We have to often earn each other's love, and we can never fully be sure if someone's going to love us back if they knew who we were, right? It says, I read a quote talking about covenant and the way that God makes covenants with us, and we make marriage covenants and other covenants with other people, and a true covenant is where we are fully known as who we are, and we have no fear because we know we're going to be loved, right? And that's hard to find that in human relationships. We often have to impress others to be noticed. We believe people won't like us if they knew everything about us. Some kids grow up feeling like they have to be perfect in order to be appreciated and valued in their families. And the beautiful thing is that God does see us. God notices us. God loves us. We don't have to do anything to earn this love. And it's so hard for us to understand that. We literally have to do nothing to earn love from God because he just loves us. And I, it's hard to even understand that kind of love. It's hard to understand that. You don't have to do anything to get God's attention. God already sees you and he knows who you are better than you even know yourself. God sees you. God loves you. And if we follow Jesus' instruction to get in that prayer closet, right? And to seek after God through prayer and through fasting. 
we're going to grow closer to that heavenly parent that we have. And we're going to grow in our knowledge and acceptance of God's love for us. And, and this is something I try to lean into all the time. That if we can grow in our knowledge and love and our acceptance by God, that God loves us 100%, nothing we can do to, to have God love us more or love us less, then we're not going to worry as much about what other people think of us. We won't worry as much about getting recognition and looking good or being seen by others because we know that we are loved and seen by God. I want to share a quote in just a moment by Mother Teresa, and this is something that I've um, my, my wife made me a thing that kind of said this many years ago when I was a youth pastor. I put it up on my wall because it's something that I want to remind myself of every single day. Now, Mother Teresa was someone, I believe, got to a point where she was performing for an audience of one. She lived to honor and glorify God. Now, she wasn't perfect, but I believe she loved the poor because she knew that loving the poor was the most true and real and most honest and, and life-giving thing that she could do. And she knew that God had called her to do it. Now, I want you to listen to what she said. She said, if you are humble, nothing will touch you, neither praise nor disgrace, because you know what you are. If you are blamed, you will not be discouraged. If they call you a saint, you will not put yourself on a pedestal. I love, she says, you know what you are. You are a child of God. You know, the people who have the place of privilege in God's kingdom are the humble who know who they are, and they truly do live their lives for an audience of one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.